This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey everyone, I'm your host Brandon Kyle Goodman and welcome to Black Folks. On this show I have the honor of talking to black people of various identities about our lives and how being black has shaped our experiences. This week I'm talking to George Lee, who is a speaker, facilitator, and a self-proclaimed edutainer, honey. Now George believes an edutainer is what you get when education and entertainment collides. And George uses all his talent, expertise, and resources, particularly his social media, to edutain everyone on racial and justice, gender bias, and highlight anyone speaking truth to power. Today, we talked about our favorite Black authors, the impact of Black male educators in the classroom, and the nuances of cancel culture. Now, if you've been listening to our show, you know that usually we do a small Black folks question and then a big Black folks question. But this time, our small Black folks question became the jumping point for the whole conversation. Also, cuteness overload warning. During the interview, George's adorable son can be heard in the background, and he even blesses us with the cutest cameo ever, honey. So adorable. Also, 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 housekeeping. You know it was coming. Make sure you rate, subscribe, comment on any of the platforms that you listen to your podcast. Send it to your mom. Send it to your dad. Send it to a friend, honey. Send it to somebody, okay? I think that's everything. Well, without any further ado, here's my conversation with George Lee. What's up, George? What's going on, man? <laughs> How you doing, man? I'm doing, hey, you know what? I'm feeling groovy like an Austin Power movie. Like we say down south, I'm feeling blessed and highly favored. You know that's, what I'm saying? Come on, blessed and highly favored. I have a couple of hats to say that. That's, I always love that feeling. That always feels southern to me. <laughs> I always feel, you're yeah. from the south, right? Where, where in the yeah. south are you from? I'm from. I'm born and raised in Bryan, Texas, man. Bryan, yes. Texas, and yes. now I live in Oklahoma. So I've, I only know down. I only know down. You here. only know the South. Well, before we get too far in, I'm gonna have you introduce yourself to everyone, and you can start with your pronouns, and then just tell us whatever you want us to yeah. know about you today. Yeah, man. I go by he, him, and I'm cool with the they as well. You yeah, know what I'm saying? you know, uh, George Lee, aka Conscious Lee. Don't forget the Lee. You can find me on georgeleespeaks.com. Yes. Hey, my motto is education is elevation. I'm a professor at the University of Oklahoma. I also teach English to ninth and tenth graders at an alternative school in Oklahoma City. Um, I believe also that argumentation is a great way to critical education. So, you know what I'm saying? You know, I'm, 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 I'm the coordinator of the debate program as well. And um, I use I, I like to use a lot of my debate skills and expertise on social media to try to, you know, uh, I feel like p- provoke thoughts. You know what I'm saying? Like, yes. I don't really be looking to be agreed with. I'm looking to provoke thoughts. You know what I'm yes. saying? I'm, I, I really value my education. Uh, the last thing I say is I got some degrees. You know what I'm saying? I got a couple <laughs> degrees. You know what I mean? I got a degree in African African American studies. I got a master's in human relations and a master's in adult and higher education. Yes. And I think I like 
like I like I like being able to take college level type classes mm-hmm. and make it where people that never ever ever step foot in a college course can feel like they can have the experience of getting a upper division college course on my social media. You know, what yes, I'm saying? education is elevation. I'm taking it to the streets. You feel me? I listen. <laughs> I gotta say, we were so excited, Judith and I were so excited to have you on because I am obsessed with. I don't follow. I'm not on TikTok, but I got you on IG, and you exactly that. You break things down in such a like. Uh, a way that feels one fully educated, fully knowledgeable, but also just in a way that we can all receive it and like spit it back out ourselves, digest it. It's just like the way I I'm a I'm a big fan I, because I, I also it, agree it. education is elevation and it's really hard sometimes to wrap our heads around um, these topics of, of race and gender and sexuality and and all this um you know all the things that we are currently reckoning with in our country especially and I think you do just such a brilliant job of 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 making it um accessible. So I'm grateful yeah. to your work. Accessibility sure. is key, man. Yes. Accessibility is key. Yes. All right. So I'm gonna start by asking you the um, the little black folks question of the day, which is real gonna be real easy. Which is, you know, who is your favorite black author? Mm, my favorite black author is uh, George Yancey, man. Mm. George, George Yancey. He uh he used to be a philosophy professor at the University of Pittsburgh, and now he's in Dartmouth. He's a philosopher. He's he's, he's a he's a he's a, uh, he's a philosopher. You know, okay. he about philosophy. Yeah. And uh, one of the reasons is because when I first got into uh, policy debate as a college student, I walked onto the team. It was a lot of a lot of the language that, that authors write with is something I can't I couldn't really digest, understand. Yeah. And I feel like he was one of the first people. He was one of the first literature bases I came across that was kind of high theory that made me feel like I knew what was going on and it made me feel like I was brilliant because it's like, man, I be saying this shit all the time, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, yeah. so, you know, shout out to Dr. Yancey, man. He one of the homies. We actually, you know what I mean? He's, he's, he was able to uh, see a couple of my debates. I was able to meet him a few different times. So, you know, shout out to Dr. George Yancey. When was the first time that you read Dr. Yancey? Uh, 2011. And before that, like, had you, here's how I want to ask this question, because for me, I was saying some weeks ago about like the movie Hidden Figures and like discovering that these black women were at the helm of helping us get to space and not even knowing that I could ask that question. Do you know what I'm saying? Like not even realizing that there are people out there that look like us that are as smart, smarter, uh, and that we could be like. Um, and so I wouldn't even know to look for a Dr. Yancey, somebody black in philosophy. So I'm, I'm wondering, um, like, were there people before discovering him that you were reading that were black as well? Or did it take a second to find a black philosopher? What was that? Do you know what I mean? To be honest with you, I ain't really value reading that much until I got into debate, to mm. be honest with you. I yeah. think that I always value being an intellectual, but I think that I used to try to be the 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 the, the out-of-the-box person that wanted to figure out how I can talk to people and value the walking human libraries. And that's how I kind of got a lot of my intellect. Yeah. It wasn't until I got to college, honestly, and I walked into a college debate when I started valuing reading, honestly. Yeah. Like prior, to, prior to debate, I can be real and say I had only read two books on my own. Everything else I had read was I got forced on to me in class in school. Sure. And I read a few chapters of it so I could pass the test. But other than that, I had really only read two books in my entire life before I got into college. Yeah. My relationship to reading is similar because it was it was all 
it was always forced. I loved plays because I'm an actor, so I would I would consume plays because I liked dialogue and I also liked biographies. Uh, sorry, mm. autobiographies. Mm. So when people were writing from their own POV, I loved that. But anything else, my mother tried to give me Harry Potter, which we know Harry Potter is now. Um, uh, well, she's canceled. But Harry Potter for me, I was like, I don't understand. Like this world, what is this? And so I never. I never was able to get into reading. And then in my adulthood in the last few years, I've recognized it's because I was always offered white stories. Like I was never offered uh, stories that looked like me or that were written by people that looked like me. Like I wasn't offered James Baldwin or Toni Morrison. Yeah, or, see, or, I think, see, I think that there was always a little pathology wrapped up in literacy. Mm-hmm. And I think that being, I feel like us that come, I feel like us, us in the hood, we understand how literacy is used to elevate and or disadvantage particular people. Yeah. So I think that I had a very paradoxical relationship because I knew that I was one of the people that bought into like, man, that's some white shit and or that's like not some cool shit. Yeah. I want to be cool. I don't want to be white. So I'm over here. So I think that I had to kind of negotiate with that throughout my educational, you know what I'm saying, journey. You feel me? And I yeah. think that it wasn't until I got, it wasn't until I became an adult at the University of Oklahoma while I start really valuing the knowledge of self, you feel me? And yeah. self, self-understanding when I really start to value my own personal reading and learning just because I wanted to do some personal reading and learning. Before that, though, it was just like, you know, I feel like it was great. But do you remember that moment? Do you remember that shift? Because you said there was, like it was when you started debate that you started to care about the kind of diving into more reading on personal. So, like, do you remember what that how that shift felt where you were like, oh, this is a value or like, what was that moment? Uh, To be honest with you, it was kind of traumatic for me. Mm. Um, uh, It was was real traumatic for me, man. I I grew up in a Southern Baptist church, you feel me? Southern Baptist, Southern Missionary Baptist, you know what I'm saying? Type of, you know, now don't get me wrong, I wasn't just a big, big church goer, but I think that now that I've been able to travel, I think that even even, even for non-Southerners that don't go to church all the time, there's a notion of Christianity that we condition by just because it's within our culture, you feel me? With that being said, I used to go to this summer camp, and it's actually funny you asked me this question because I was thinking about making 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 like a four or five minute critique video about when I came into consciousness because it actually was at this Christian camp. Yeah. You feel me? My first year at OU, I walked my freshman year at OU, I walked onto the debate team. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. And I started I started doing debate. So the, so literally my sophomore year, I went to be a counselor at this debate, I mean at, at this Christian sports camp that I had been at for like nine years, yo. I'm right, right. Like nine, <laughs> I went that nine That's years in a row. Yo, I'm talking about a damn near a decade. You yeah, feel yeah. Me? Not, not only that, I was able to be elevated to go to like the leadership part of the camp, high, higher ground. I was able to experience different aspects of the camp. Sure. Right? The camp is called Kids Across America, and it was literally marketed towards inner urban kids. Right, you feel right. Me? When yeah. I when I got to be a counselor, I started to kind of see that a lot of stuff that George Yancey was talking about in terms of whiteness. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Because that's what he write about. He write about the philosophical understanding of whiteness and white people, and kind of how the notions, systems of power, want to go unidentified, want to go unacknowledged. You know mm. what I'm saying? Yeah. So we literally see it as you know, kind of how business as usual. So you know what I'm saying? We have to do this uh, this chant. Freedom USA. I'm talking about every morning. Every morning we go read a Bible verse in the beginning for us to go eat breakfast. And I remember every time I always get in trouble because it'd be like, man, I don't feel like I don't, I don't feel like playing. I don't feel like playing this patriotism game with y'all. Right, right, right. All these, all these kids we dealing with. 
They from they from Little Rock, Arkansas. They from fucking Cabrini Project, Chicago. They from this random like they, we, we America don't give a damn about us. You right. Know what I'm saying? Like yeah, I don't. Yeah. I, 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 I remember feeling like that at like a, at 19, 20. Yeah. You feel me? And it was like man, I've been through this camp the whole time, and I started seeing that there are different notions of Christian rap that they would try to use parts of black culture to make it cool, but then demonize parts of black culture that they want to use. So our dances, they're going to they over sexualize our dances. You know what I'm saying? I'm talking about literally the cool day. You know, back then we was ducking and shit like that. I'm talking about it was literally it was literally ways they would pathologize and hypersexualize us as kids. And then once I got to see the leadership part, it was like, so let me get this straight. You MFers got us black kids over in KAA raising majority of the money. And what you telling me is over here we got like it's like Fat Camp. It's literally situated. Have you seen Fat Camp movies? Yeah, yeah. How they had summer camps. Right. Literally, we had a little blob. We had this little, you know what I'm saying, little cabins. We had like little little, little slides. You know what I'm saying? You go hit you on your canoe. Man, they messed around and took your boy across the lake to Canacut camps. Canacut KA, they go together. Canacut where the white kids go. KA literally where the inner city black kids go. You know what I'm saying? Oh, literally, it's the same yeah, yeah. camp though. It's the same yeah, yeah. camp. Man, it took my black ass over there to Canacut camps, and I seen they shit set up like Disney. Ah, my shit. mind was blown. Like, blown. damn, it's a Disney resort over here across the lake. We over there, goddamn. Now, of course, the hood kids, we 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 we, we enjoy anything because we, we don't have much. Right. But the fact that y'all, fam, I should have never learned that the like all the money that was being funded for KA, hey, we had to raise. We was poor kids, so we was, you know, what I'm saying we doing breakfast programs and sure. washing cars and doing all type of stuff. Fam, they must have said some shit like. Majority of the money we raise goes to funding the white kids over in Canacook, and they justified it because the white pa- the, the white kids' parents pay them more money. Now I didn't know this at the time. That's what I learned after the fact. Right. When I, uh, uh, in 2010, I was actually trying to be the weed case. You know what I'm saying? Shout out to <laughs> shout out, hey, shout <laughs> yes. out to hey, uh, shout out to my troll. You feel me? Uh, Myron Ray Redsberger. I thought it would be cool to throw my uh, mug shot. In a video of him talking about uh, goddamn uh, uh, Breonna Taylor. These people but, really try. I'll be real though. I'll be yeah. real though. The reason why I went to the summer camp is because I was trying to stop smoking weed, you feel me? And mm-hmm. literally being able to, you know what I'm saying, get this to go so I can beat this case. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. while I was there, I'm, I'm there because I'm literally being hypercriminalized where I'm at OU, everybody's smoking weed at OU. Right, you right. Know what I'm saying? Right. But I'm seeing somehow all of us black, the, the few black people that go to OU, when we go back home or some or whatever, we the ones that's being criminalized for doing shit that everybody's doing, you know what I'm saying, or whatever. Right, you're being treated so differently. It, it was the culmination of all these things in one summer that I was dealing with made me come to the realization and made me be, I feel like it, it, it traumatized me because it took the it took the rug from under my feet. Where I thought that Christianity and my belief in Jesus and my belief in God was something that was immune to white supremacy into systems of whiteness. And when right. I learned the ways in which anti-blackness was permeated in Christianity and the ways it was being pushed on to us, like literally it was a whole bunch of white, um, uh, uh, white college students that were there to suture their white guilt. Oh my God! I'm helping the poor black kids in the hood, and this much means it was like it was it, it was a lot of charity, fungibility, inferiority complex that was running around there, and I remember feeling irritated and pissed off with a lot of my colleagues. Sometimes they would say fucked up shit about students. They would, put, you know, what I'm saying they would they would stereotype them. They would make it like they had a white savior complex. They would make it like they ain't in need of saving. It was like, hey, y'all, I don't know if y'all recognize or not, but I went. Now the point, I, I went to I went to the camp. I went to the camp as a camper as well. Yeah, yeah. So, so it you made knew me both like. Sides. Is this how is this how these counselors used to look at me? 
Because right. I was going there, my mom was, both my mom and my dad was dealing with incarceration. One of them was hooked on drugs, the other one was selling drugs. I remember talking about experiences like that with my counselors. Yeah. So once I started seeing how my colleagues was pathologizing the campers, it made me start being like, damn, I feel like I lost trust in this old shit here. You know what I'm saying? Being real, it, I feel like it traumatized me so much. I feel like I, did, I pushed away from the Christian church so crazy where I feel like I ain't never really went back since then. Right, that was right. Ten years ago. <laughs> but that, but that moment is like what kind of like was like oh there, I'm well, seeing all, together. I'm seeing all the fuck shit and I gotta I gotta invest differently I gotta hey read differently gotta learn differently because there's this is the system. U.P. Newton, yeah. U.P. Newton, the book the the book that really changed my life was the book called a, a book called uh, the Pride of the Panther and it was the autobiography of U.P. Newton. Mm. Huey P. Newton drops some shit in there where he said that power is the ability to define the phenomenon and make it act in a desired manner. The power is the ability to define the phenomenon and make it act in a desired manner. Once I started being able to think like, damn, if I can define the phenomenon and the phenomenon, the way it's starting to be defined, I start to feel like it's anti-me or in opposition to what I do and how I do and whatever. I'm gonna start moving around. I feel like I defined the phenomenon of KAA, Canica Camps, and we was able to start to see some, some consistency in defining the phenomenon of Christianity. I was young then, so now I got a more now, now I have a better appreciation for Christianity than I did then. Right. But then it made me literally be traumatized, resentful, and be like, ah, like it really it really made me question my whole reality because I was taught my entire life was about trying to make it to heaven. You know what I'm saying? So yes. once I started seeing that this white supremacy and whiteness and anti-black sentiments in nature is in what my whole life is structured around, it started making me renegotiate what I live for and how I'm living, what it means for me to, you know what I'm saying? It's like I started getting into deep, deep, deep shit. Yeah. The last thing I say on this rant, the Bible, the words say, "Seek and you will find. Seek me and you will come, come, come seek and you will find." Yeah. Shit, I went to seeking. This is what I found. You feel me? It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I mean, religion is such a, I mean, not to go off on this, but I grew up in the church. My grandmother's a minister and religion, my mother's born again. And religion has been such a contentious, especially religion inside of the black community, because obviously it, it means so much. The black church is everything. And recently what I've kind of pulled out to, or what I, what I'm musing on, I don't know if it's true, but what I'm musing on is that the shit is so challenging. The system is so awful for us as black people on oh, a baby. Um, that church is all we have, right? Like the belief in heaven and the belief that there is something better after this is the only thing that kind of allows us to pull through, right? Because if you really were to think about, oh shit, across the river is a camp that is also owned here and it's beautiful. And the only reason I'm not over there is because of the color of my skin. That is traumatizing. Like, right, like that, like that is enraging. That's traumatizing. Right. And so you kind of try to r reckon that with, 
okay, but like, I'm gonna be a good person and like, I'm gonna I'm a pray and I'm gonna, you know, meditate and I'm gonna tithe and I'm gonna ABCD, read the word and and God will take care of me. And there's nothing wrong with, you know, I, I believe in God, I gotta, but, but you know I what I'm saying? I'm blessed and highly favored, man. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but there is still like a, a accepting the bullshit uh, because religion will save you and protect you. Does that make sense? Am I saying that uh, right? Not, not only does it make sense, I really believe that in terms of the black reality in America, I believe that Christianity has been used a lot to kind of create a psychosis in our community. Yes. Where it's literally like, hey, I might be going through shit right now, but heaven gonna be paved with gold. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. But listen, man, the, the, the Bible say is, you know, the Bible says that, you know, everything, everything happens for a reason. Right. If you're not plugged in, it becomes a distraction, right? It gets used as a way to distract us from fighting for what we deserve. Definitely. Yeah. That's how, that's how I, start, I started seeing that. I started feeling. I started. I started feeling a whole bunch of feelings, and you know, what I'm saying a whole bunch of. I feel like epiphanies from yeah. just thinking about. You know, what I'm saying it's like what, and, then, and, then, and then, I mean that. I mean now, now I know more about the like Yoruba culture. I know more about like Christianity in terms of Africa prior to European engagement. So I don't give white supremacy as much as much credit as I used to. Mm -hmm. But when I was younger though, and I asked Seeking You Will Find, I asked the question like, uh, when did I come to know Christianity in the way that I know it? And it was like, the, the answer is slavery. So for me, the question to, before that was like, um, what did I know before slavery? You know what I'm saying? And that's kind of mm -hmm. how I started my research and started, you know, seeking and finding. And when I started learning about all these different other modes of being, all these other other standards of being divine, you feel me? Yeah. It started, it start, it start, it started making me re really reject just traditional notions of religion altogether. You feel me? I got respect and love for for, for for Islam, for Christianity, for Judaism. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't I don't identify as none of that though. Yeah. When you did well when you when you went back to I think that's such a powerful question. Like what what like like who were we before slavery? Like what like who would I be before that? What did that what did that do to you emotionally? Like like that that epiphany and that consciousness. What what does that do to you or what does that feel like? Man, for me, because I didn't know, it made me, I feel like it, 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 it made me sit in my resentment and my trauma and feeling vulnerable and feeling like I'm just up, up to the whims of the world. You know what I'm mm. saying? Because it's almost like I hear the saying growing up a lot that if you don't know who you are, you don't know where you're going. In order for, in order for you to know where you go, you all know where you came from. Yeah. It's like, shit, if I don't know where I came from, well, I think I only came from the plantation. What does that mean for you know what, I'm what I'm capable of, what I'm not capable of? So I started literally like feeling like I need to define my own self and not let the, the times that I'm living in define me, which brings me to one of my sayings I always say. I think it's only two types of people in this world, feel me? It's people that define the times that we live in and people that are defined by the times that we live in. Oh, and I think fuck. that I made that decision at a, at a very young age, at a very, very young age. As a matter of fact, shout out to, the, to, shout out to my 11th grade history teacher that told me that shit. White man, the first white man that I had a, as an educator that really made me feel like I can be something and do something, white man told me that shit. It made me be like, damn. So it don't matter if my daddy doing this, my mama doing this, if my, you know what I'm saying, everybody in my community doing this, everybody in my hood doing this, I'm finna do this, bet. So literally it made it where I was able to unlock my brilliance and able to unlock me being, I feel like an intellectual in the classroom. And that's the reason why I respect and I love education the way I do, because I was able to get the understandings of myself and being able to ask these deep critical questions to myself because of how I was learning and how I was positioned in the classroom. Like in Texas, I was forced to be in uh, pre-AP and honors classes because I got tested in GT. 
know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? What's GT? Gifted and talented. Gifted okay, and talented cool. program. And because yeah. I got forced to be in that, it made it where I was around a whole bunch of middle class, affluent white people and sometimes more uh, middle class black people. And because I came from the hood, my mama and my daddy would like, like, that was convicted felons. My, yeah. daddy, my daddy, my daddy got his pen, my daddy got a GED in the penitentiary. My mama graduated two years high school, two years, uh, two years early, late. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it was like shit. I didn't have the same experiences. I didn't express myself the same as none of the black kids in my class, nor none of the white people. You know what I'm saying? Right. And it was just like I remember always feeling like I was alienated and feeling like real lonely in the class because when the when the bell rung, I finna go kick it with my homeboys from West Side of Brian or from East Side of Brian. I ain't finna kick it with them over there because we don't in class we can be cool, but I finna kick it with the homies. I'm, I'm, I'm hanging with the hood niggas and the athletes. Right, right, right. You know what right. I'm <laughs> But in class, I gotta hang with, you know what I'm saying? Uh, suburban Karen and, you know what I'm saying? Goddamn yeah. Country Bob. You feel me? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> It's like shit. That's hey, I'm, just, that's, I'm from Texas. Yeah. That's how it is, though. For and sure. It just made it where I remember feeling a lot of times I say something and I feel like I'm being disarmed. You know what I'm mm. saying? And, and, and then when I got into KAA, I had that same feeling, and that's what made me feel traumatized and feel resentful. I felt that same vulnerability, that same alienation, that same loneliness, that same like that I was being. You know what I'm saying? Um, being opposed spiritually and mentally. I had that same feeling and it made me like it literally brought me back to ninth grade and seventh grade and eighth grade when I was at San Raven Middle School, when I was at Bryan High School and I was literally the black hood kid in the pre-AP honors classes and they literally was pushing all these spectability politics on me and saying that you, you want a conscious little George Lee, you want to cut your hair? If you, would you cut your hair if you did this, that, and the other? It was like I was homecoming king, prom king, class president, but I still felt all this shit, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I went to a big high school, but it made me where I was just positioned weirdly. Where, what, like, where does your? I was talking about this, and I'm willing to admit, you know, I think that in in high school, I went to uh, boarding high school in Rome, Georgia, very, 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 very white, um, and I feel like in high school, I. I would go with the wind. Like I didn't have a strong backbone because uh, I was just looking to be accepted. Um, and it sounds like you were able to go f- between your neighborhood and the suburban neighborhood and and have a clear sense of self and 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 not um, fall into the especially the traps of white people being like cut your hair, do this, whatever. Where did that come from, or like who did that come from? Like how did, how did you at such a young age were able to maintain such a a strong sense of self as you navigated you, I the fuckery. Know. I can be real with you. I, yeah. I really don't know. I really don't know. I think that I always been strong willed. I think that I always been a strong willed person. I think that when I was younger in like elementary school, my strong willedness and my and, and, and my and, and my desire, burning desire to kind of want to think for myself, it got me in trouble. I was I was I was I was I was I was a conduct kid. You feel me? Mm. You know, elementary, they gave you ease. Ex- A's for excellence, use for, uh, uh, you know what I'm saying, use for unsatisfactory and, sure, sure, sure. you know what I'm saying, ends for like something else. I have like all E's and S's for my grades and my conduct, it would be bad. So I felt like I was using my strong willingness and I was using, you feel me, my ability to want to go against the grain for, for like, for, for like, to, to get myself in trouble, to damn to get myself caught up in that school to prison pipeline. I think that um, uh, 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 being real with you, thinking about it, it probably was my second grade teacher, no, my third grade teacher, Miss Peoples. Mm. You feel me? This white woman from Texas and them, Miss Peoples, and she, she, she. Um, I feel like she's seen I was going through some stuff. She's seen sometimes I come to school with maybe the same shirt on that I wore. I might, you know what I'm saying? Some I might. I felt like she's seen that I was struggling and seen I was going through some shit. And she just t- pretty much told me I can. I, I feel like she made me believe I can do something different, and she made me believe I can control my situation. 
Yeah. Regardless of what was going on at home, when I came to the classroom, I felt like I had control of what was going on. You feel me? And I yeah. think that that at a young age started making it where I started like like I felt like I didn't I felt like I couldn't fit in, so I embraced standing out. Right. I feel, like, I feel like I've always felt like that in my life. And I think that in my adult life, I just mastered it and just own it. But I feel like as a kid, I just started doing it. Like, well, I quit basketball in ninth grade. Everybody thought I was giving up in life because I didn't want to play basketball no more. <laughs> I, joined, I joined the uh, like the speech and debate team in, in high school, but I didn't do debate. I did poetry and extent. And that mm. was me, I feel like, showing that I can do my own thing. You feel me? Yeah. Niggas in the hood went running to be school class president. Not in my hood. You know what I'm saying? I was homecoming king, prom king, class president. Even though I was going through these things, so I feel like I was already setting myself apart. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So. In my experience as a in schools, um, there aren't a lot of black men. There just aren't a lot of black male figures in the space. So what is that like for you to be teaching ninth and tenth ninth and tenth grade? Mm -hmm. Do you feel do you feel that you're important in that space? Do you feel do you, what do you feel being a I teacher do. in that space? I do. Yeah, I, I, I feel I feel the I feel the value of being a black man um, in my alternative schools, especially. Yeah, um, we know that uh, black kids, specifically black boys, are disproportionately you know disciplined in school. And uh, sorry for my son in the back. No, you're fine. Don't yeah. worry. <laughs> uh, 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 we know as a result, though, that when it comes to kids that are sent to juvenile or kids sent to alternative schools, they're particularly black boys. You know what I'm saying? Black and brown boys, to be specific, but mainly black boys. Yeah. So I find it, I find it very valuable for me to speak the way I speak and see the world that I like, like I see the world, while also being able to be in a position of authority, quote unquote, in terms of being a, being a teacher. I've yeah. seen all the data. I've seen all the studies that show that even it don't, it don't matter what color the student is. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. There is a literal increase in potential in terms of graduating and in terms of doing things post-graduation when you have a black male educator. There mm. are various studies that show the literal value in a, in a black man being in education. And literally says that if they're a white student, a, a black student, a Mexican student, an Asian student, an indigenous student, literally benefit from having black male educators. What so is that like value? To, to me, to me, it's the, to me, the value is um, I feel like how us as black men, how not to get too philosophical. Yeah, but do it. Let's go. <laughs> but but um, I, uh, I, I read something from Horton Spillers. You know what I'm saying? A long time uh -huh. ago, you feel me? She had this. It's this, 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 this little journal she uh, she wrote. It's called uh, "Mama's Baby, Papa's Maybe," where she's where she's critiquing the uh, morning hand report with a white dude go to the hood. I think it was like in New York or some shit like that. And I think Lyndon B. Johnson was like, "Tell us what's the issue with the Negroes." You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yes. And she uh, morning hand was like, "Well, the issue with the Negroes is the communities led by black women. Black women lead the communities." As long as black women continue to lead the community, as long as they have single parent homes, as long as they continue to have um, black women literally being the head of the household, their community on, you know what I'm saying, degrade. Horton Spillers talks about how this kind of pathologizes black women and kind of how it makes uh, uh, really puts all the dysfunction of the black community onto black women. But she yeah. kind of included in saying that even us as black men, we have to say yes to the black woman within. For me, I think I think about how black how us as black men, even even the most manly man, hotel, macho, masculinity ass nigga, <laughs> we still have ways of subconsciously relating to femininity and kind sure. of I don't want to correlate being a nurturer with being feminine, but I feel like in terms of having that 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 feminine care, 
know what I'm saying? Mm. Well, I believe that black men, we have a notion of kind of being able to access some 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 type of mothering. You feel me? Mm -hmm. Like in academia, they talk about like mothering all the time. I hear about mothering. Yeah. You know and I think that being a black man in a public education space, especially being a, a, a black male teacher to other black male students, yeah. I see how the same type of demographics of mothering it starts to take place. Because then now I get to talk to my students about the school to prison pipeline and I, and I can talk about it from, from, from experience. Right. You know what I'm saying? I get to use literally, it's like when I was in school, I didn't give a damn about nothing I couldn't use. Like shit, if I'm I don't I don't care about the I don't care about the chemical compound of carbon monoxide. I don't care about that. <laughs> to this day I don't care about that. I don't understand yeah. why me understanding the chemical compound of carbon monoxide is gonna help me feel I, I don't wanna be a rocket scientist, I don't wanna be a chemist. Right, right, right. With that being said, I think I have the ability to connect with my students with using Things they are familiar with to teach them about onomatopoeias, teach them about conflict, teach them about theme, teach them about figurative language. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. I think, make it, I, think, I think that's the value. You know what I'm saying? Are I'm, black I'm male educators shit, you know? inherently, like, the question I want to ask is, do black, I know black masculinity is its own fucking, you know, beast that we can unpack. Would you say that black men who are in education have more of an awareness of what that is of of the ability for that black masculinity to be toxic and dangerous and so they are actually because they're around kids there is um uh, a desire to nurture in general no no that we wouldn't say that no nah, okay. hell no nah, i ain't saying no. that well okay. listen listen man i be around some people and I've some of the most toxic niggas I didn't came across was you know what I'm saying uh, educators you feel me you know what I'm mm. saying it's usually the educator it's usually the black male educator that fucking went to some junior college that he mad at the world because he ain't make it where he wanted to make it to and now he mm. fucking wreaking havoc on all of the little black kids that come across his you know usually I don't know how they do it in, in, in what I'm saying in Georgia or how they did it in in, in New York yeah in Texas usually the uh, history teacher. Was the coach? You know what I'm saying? Sure, <laughs> sure. So, yes, I'm so familiar, shit, man. But familiar. I ain't gonna say no names, man. But shit, what? Just because you're a black man in education, don't mean that you can't be what? Yeah, you might be. You might. You might be pushing some of those. They trying to. They trying to feminize us. You know what I'm saying? You know the most sure. conspiracy theories. Yeah, yeah, the conspiracy yeah. theories. Like we got. We got to look out for the LGBT community. They trying to turn all the kids gay and trying to make all the men wear skirts. Ugh, you feel fine. me? Like what? You know. Yeah, that you, know, you know those narratives become legitimized when people with when people in positions of authority are able to push them. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. There are black men in positions of authority that are able to push the notions that the LGBT community is trying to emasculate niggas. The literal right. presence of trans, gay, homosexuals, like, fam, dude, yeah. nigga, you got some, you can go see a therapist or something, fam, because you was insecure as shit, bro. This, that's how I feel about it. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. Well, that is the truth. Like, how can somebody turn you get Get the fuck out of here. Right. Um, <laughs> is that easy to turn you out? Damn. <laughs> Damn. Well, you might want to stay away from the gay people then, bro. <laughs> We're well, trying to have a different conversation. Yeah, it's uh, a different conversation. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, so I'm thinking like, so, so, so you think that the people in the LGBT, LGBT community is having that much issues with sexuality and sex, they got to turn you out, huh? Right. So you we got to go to you. None at all, huh? they gotta get to, stop playing. Stop. You so full of yourself. You know what? Dutch. You ain't even they type. You ain't, you ain't even. 
at base <laughs> you come on yeah it's i could go off on that it's, just, it's always wild <laughs> shout out to all my people that didn't put me on game man <laughs> I have to, you know what I'm saying? Like, nigga, don't flatter yourself, fam. Please, please, please. But they I guess man do not want you. He don't. We we actually, I don't. We don't. Do not, it's Brandon like, said he ain't interested. I'm not interested. Like, so you don't have to worry about being turned out. It's fine. <laughs> he ain't got no issues. You good? It's so wild. It's it, to me. It's so wild that that is still. I mean, this kind of, I think about you and your conscious level and how you raise your consciousness just in general and how infuriating it must be to hear people say dumb shit. I mean, you do this on your Instagram all the time where you'll, you know, post a video of somebody, some black dude who's like, I support Trump. And it's just like, what the fuck? It, like, it thing. must be, but like, do it must thing, be, <laughs> but it must be like wild to be like, to see, to be able to see how we're being played and to, to be able to build a life for yourself where you can fight against that and you're educating yourself and you're educating the people around you and yet still there are all these people who are as you say lost in the sauce right but do you get what are your emotions to be able to do that i get asked about the emotional labor of talking to white people about allyship and all that stuff but i imagine there must be some for you like what what does that feel like the emotional labor of of um navigating people who say shit like these LGBTQ people gonna turn everybody gay. Like, <laughs> like, what is that? Sometimes it's tiring. I don't cap it out. Sometimes it's tiring and exhausting. You feel me? And give me a little bit of exhaustion or fatigue, a little battle fatigue. But I think sometimes I like, I, I just get this weird, like fire lit under my ass that make mm. me want to just respond most of the time. That's why I yeah. can do it. So how I do it. You feel me? It's like, I think that when I ended my debate career, I ended my debate career in the semifinals of the NDT, and I lost to this uh, Georgetown, this team from Georgetown, two white boys, two Andrews, Andrew, and uh, I think it was Arsha Markoff, Andrew Arsh and Andrew Markoff, lost to them boys, you feel me? <laughs> Who's the AF, you know what I'm saying, white boys with the neg, you know what I'm saying, our argument was war power shouldn't be used against niggas. My point is, um, I'm able to respond to people with consistency that way, and it's being like, what the hell did you just say? Because I always feel like I shouldn't have lost that last round. Really, my last two debate <laughs> rounds I lost. It was two national, like two championship tournaments. Like that literally, that was the two last tournaments I lost. Two last rounds I lost. Yeah. So I just, I just take, I just take out my wrath against people on, on TikTok. <laughs> it's really how I see it. And, and too, because I really value, I really value educating and I really see the value in education from argumentation. So right. like when I get to use evidence and get to use research to back my points up, I know that people like, you know what I'm saying, you, Judith, people learn from that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, like, really nine times out of ten, I'm not arguing with a person for them. Right. You know what I'm saying? I'm Nine times out of ten, I'm not trying to convince them or nothing. Usually they so lost in the sauce, just they, 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 they dripped out. You feel me? They, <laughs> yeah, they yeah. drip or drown, they drowning. Goddamn, they lost in the sauce. So, yeah. it ain't for them. It's more for my followers. Because then nine times out of ten, when I'm responding to people, the arguments they making is arguments that people always make. Yes. They're, they're yeah. common arguments. Yes. So I'm common. trying to help you build your language, build your perspective, build the way you can engage and make it where you can feel empowered in these moments where people say stupid shit. Yes. Sometimes I remember feeling helpless and vulnerable a lot of times when I was in my high school classes and middle school classes because I didn't have the language. Yeah. I didn't have the language to define the phenomenon to make it act in a odd manner. I couldn't acknowledge what I was feeling. I couldn't say what I mean and mean what I say. I couldn't articulate myself. Yeah. So I think that what was empowering for me to be a debater was for me to be able to learn language. 
You know what I'm right, saying? Right. So when I'm teaching on social media, whether I'm on Instagram, TikTok, or Twitter, to me, I'm trying to liberate my people and giving them language to talk about what they're going through. Yeah. I mean, that's what it feels like. And I, I would say, like, that to me is the only way to keep it sustainable because there is a level of, like, I, I, I always say, like, I'm not here to convince somebody that Black Lives Matter, like, or that I'm not, that I, that's, a, that's, a, that's a waste of my time because I'm not interested in talking to those people. But I can offer something for people who, like, are, who want the language, who want the education, who are curious and want to have a conversation. That I can, I can do all day. But anyone who's, like... But why do all lives not matter? I'm not here. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I, like, that's not. But Brandon, but Brandon, did you choose to be gay or was you born gay? If you don't fucking get out of it. Well, if you don't get your uh, Socrates, inner feelings, like, man, motherfucker. I realized I asked him, so um, were you born straight or did you choose to be straight? When, right. when, when did you come out to be, when did you realize you were straight? Yeah. And I've learned this to turn it on. It's just like, you know what I'm saying? Because I, I asked myself that as a straight person. It's like, when did I learn? Like, it's like you, you know what I mean? It's, we conditioned to, to, we, we condition to always assume we are a certain thing. So we, so we literally have the privilege of never having to think about it. Yes. You know yes. It's like, man, motherfucker, when, it, when, when, who, who taught you that your penis should get erect when you see the opposite sex? Come on, that's a hard did it, question. Did it, did, it, did, it, did it happen naturally or did your mom or did your father teach you when you see breasts, you should get an erection? Did, did somebody teach you that? I think that it probably happened naturally or would you talk? Talk to me. And yeah. You can freeze up and I usually see that's when I started feeling like you, you really insecure in your own self, your own sexuality, your own gender, and you project on the other people. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think that that's not real. You feel me? That's really I think what, what you, I have to learn. I think what you do so brilliantly is that you ask, you ask questions that what I've learned in just even the last three months of all of or five months of what's been going on is like people don't ask themselves critical questions. They're just kind of spitting out rhetoric. It's the how it's always been. It's how it's better. This is da 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 da. And you're like, okay, but if you were to actually really sit down and ask the question, how is that gay person threatening your life? Right. If you were to actually sit down and ask yourself that question and give me an answer, you wouldn't have one. And I, everyone is so pressed to fight uh, instead of being critical as you've been to like really like let's have these conversations. Let me ask you because because when you ask them the flip question, when did you when did you realize you were straight? All of a sudden, it's like. Like that when all I hear is lost in the sauce. Like that, like somebody in saying that to like, you, I'm like, damn. damn. I, give you a, I, give, I give you a bomb ass analysis about white supremacy, and you rocking with me. You think I'm an educator? You think I'm the most intellectual person? I give, I flip it and give you an analysis about heteronormativity, and then all of a sudden, I'm, 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 I'm selling out of some, or it's just like they know. You know what? Niggas know not the comment on. So they, they, know, they, they know that's not persuasive. So they just say, you know, what I'm saying, I'm pushing the agenda, or you know, what I'm saying, I'm, I'm undercover. Or you know what I'm saying? I'm, yeah. I'm, 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 I don't know. Well, all that. Again, well, I guess I mean I feel like I already asked this, but weird is that you know confidence because having somebody like you be so vocal on behalf of LGBTQ people, especially uh, on behalf of Black trans femme uh, people, like it, that means something, right? That is that is. We don't see that. We don't feel that. And and it in in many ways, just on a personal level, it like 
I kept telling Jude, I was like, I feel like George is like, George feels, I don't know our ages, but George feels like an older brother. It's like the older brother that you wish you had that would like protect you against the like the fucking toxic bullshit. And I'm wondering where that came from and where that, where that, um, where you felt the need to be, vo- why you felt the need to be vocal. I mean, I know that it's important for all of us to be vocal, mm-hmm. but still not everyone is. So why did, were you like, I'm going to. I'm going to vocalize this. I'm going to say this. I'm going to put myself out there in this way to defend. Debate, man. Yeah. Policy debate, man. I debated with my fists in the air, talking about black people in the hood every every round. Um, after after my after my junior year in debate, me and my debate partner were, were, were part of the top 16 teams in the country. We figured out our Achilles heels was dealing with arguments with sexuality and gender. Mm. Um, I, did, I hated to lose so much. I had to figure out not only why I was losing to these arguments, yeah. but I wanted, to, I wanted to know, I wanted to figure out what about me made it where I had these blind spots and these knee-jerk reactions to why I felt uncomfortable. When I debated, I was always feeling confident and feeling like, ah, ah, ah. Yeah. And then I debate this trans team talking about trans rage. <laughs> and I'd be yeah. timid when I don't know what the hell going on. <laughs> Yeah, you know what I'm or these black women. Shout out to Corey and Amina. You know what I'm saying? Shit, Townsend. Shout out to Baltimore. You feel me? They'll 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 talk about. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you you might have this analysis of, of oppression, but your analysis is very cis. It's very straight. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? And I think that I start to really think about like what does it mean for me to be pro black and try to say I account for the black community, but I don't. But but I keep on losing and how I can't account for black LGBTQ and black women. You know what I'm saying? Right. And then I think that when I got out of debate, I started, t- I took on this name consciously and I started seeing from the jump, I started bumping heads with a lot of people in the conscious community. You mm. know what I'm saying? I don't, I don't, I think that a lot of that shit is parasitic. I ain't gonna use the word toxic because, you know, t- white liberals have, have, have t- t- took the word. <laughs> I'm gonna say parasitic. A lot of the shit in the conscious community towards black LGBTQ and black women be so parasitic that I thought that it was doing a disservice to us. I think that Audre Lorde, James Baldwin, Marsha P. Johnson, Bayard Rustin, um, I can keep on naming these names. Yeah. They've all done a lot of things for the black community. They were revolutionaries. Yeah. And I yeah. think that as straight people, if we want to talk about, you know what I'm saying, being revolutionary and being pro-black, we have to account for the entire black community. But we also have to be able to learn from the people that came before us that wasn't straight, that was able to be intersectional in their approach and still, you know, what Bayer Rustin got sent to jail for having gay sex in, 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 in motherfucking, you know what I'm saying, California. You feel me? Right. Literally, white people were able to use him being black and homosexual against him to discredit him to our own people. So once I start seeing white supremacy get to use black people's identity to yes. use it against us, I ain't yeah. I'm gonna get suppression in all ways. And I think that it's like, that's how I can say it really. I started I started I started having this deep desire to be against oppression. And really what it was is I was in this uh, this class about black women, Dr. Lupe Davison. Mm. She had read some shit about how it was like uh, when chicken heads, chicken head feminism or some shit like that. It was like something like chicken head feminism or some shit okay. like that. It was something yeah, like yeah. that, man. And she said some shit like, I felt like I was a slave of a slave. And and that, that like the slave of a slave, like that, Oof. that right there, that like that, that right yeah, there yeah, yeah. made it where I was in, I was a, a sophomore or junior at OU, a sophomore or junior. But me hearing that, I was a slave of a slave. It made me be like, damn, I can't be talking. I talk all this shit about the slave master, but 
it's black women that feel like they are slave to me. You know what I'm mm. saying? And then I started seeing how, you know, the people that I looked up to, some of these, you know what I'm saying, black feminists and black womenists was critiquing them. So I had to come to grips with my heroes being oppressors, even though they're, even though they're against oppression. You know what right. I'm saying? And that's what made me be like, well, if I'm gonna be a hero to somebody else, I need to be thinking about how I'm implicated in oppression. And if I really, if, if I'm really against oppression, every day I wake up, I'm gonna try to figure out how do I, how am I implicated in Brandon's oppression? Yeah, you feel me? And I think that's that's the reason why I do it the way I do. It's like I'm against oppression, and I think that I can't just be thinking about oppression out out there. I think about impression in here too, in here too. Right. You know what I'm saying? My heart right. and head. And I just think that I got to be real. So even though, it is, it was, with that being said, I'm going to make sure I say this clear <laughs> yeah. to, to, every, to all black women and everybody in the black LGBT community. I know right now y'all might see me as a perfect saint that can do no wrong. You feel me? But listen, I'm still working on myself. Mm. If I ever have a slip up, you know what I'm saying? Call me out. But don't throw me away. You feel me? Hey. Um, I know that it's easy. I, I feel like I want to make this criticism. I, ain't, I feel like I don't know how. I, it, it ain't time yet. I'm still yeah. thinking about it. But eventually I'm going to talk about how cancel culture is permeating towards black men and specifically black cisgender men. But I feel mm. like right now I don't want to make I don't, I don't, I don't want to get into that right now. <laughs> yes, but sure, I do sure. know that in terms of cancel culture, we can make an analysis about how typically cancel culture is reserved for black men specifically cisgender heterosexual black men mm -hmm. now some notions do they deserve it hell yeah bill cosby r kelly sometimes yeah nigga you ain't doing this no good damn but <laughs> and another notion though i think cancel culture makes it where we can't be we can't hold people accountable but i also think that it's a lot to be said how typically black men are the ones to be canceled you know what I'm saying? Mm. From from my perspective, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. That could be that could be me biased, thinking I'm being attacked or whatever, but you know what I'm saying? I just want to make sure I say that. You feel me? If I ever yeah. say something misogynistic, heteronormative, transphobic, call me out, but don't throw me away. Man, I love that. I I've never considered who cancel culture affects more than another. So I would have to sit and like muse. So I'm looking forward to whenever you're able to muse about that. Cause I do think it's important. You know what I think? Um, your heart is so evident, you know, like you put yourself out there and even just being able to say, listen, I, I, I'm about to say this thing and I'm not even sure what it is yet. And maybe I'm inside of it, but here's this thing sets it up different, right? That allows somebody else hearing it to go, okay, cool. Like I'm ready to have a conversation as opposed to, I think what always happens is people come out as authorities, right? As we were talking about that black male educator who sometimes is, has a, a chip on their shoulder and they come out on authority talking about, you know, queer people are trying to turn them out. So like, that's where, that's where it, that's where to me, the breakdown always happens. But for me, I'm always down with somebody saying, listen, I have, something I'm musing on and I want to work through and I'm interested in your side of it as well. And if I say something wrong, call me out. Don't throw me away. I think it's such a 
it's important, you know, that's the only way that we're going to evolve and grow. I keep saying to, to white people, to straight people, to myself, we're going to fuck up as we try and be better, right? Like, I love that you say, like, how am I implicated in Brandon's oppression? I always think, like, how am I implicated in my black trans siblings' oppression? Like, we're all implicated in somebody's intersectionality, oppression. man. That's, yes. that's what that's that's at the core of all my analysis. I try to yes. make sure I don't give a damn what I'm talking about. I'm talking yes. about indigeneity. I want to talk about how different indigenous bodies are sexualized, how different indigenous bodies are seen as being uh, able or capable or disabled and talk about how different indigenous bodies, I'm, I'm always being intersectional. So I always think about it that way. You feel me? Yeah. And I think that's important, but I also think it's important that we allow each other as we work on these things to have, have grace because the intention is right. I, I don't want to be a part of the oppression and I want to free everybody from their oppression. So as long as that's the intention, we can have these nuanced conversations and we might fuck up along the way. But again, we've set up our intention we've set up our heart and so um there's no need to just as you say throw people away ah uh, george is everything oh my goodness okay we're about to do bkg learning moments bkg Learning moments. Which, as you hopefully know by now, is where I tell you everything that I've learned or some of the things that I've learned uh, from my guest. So one of the first things is, which I had never really spoken about out loud, was uh, embracing the fact that we started reading later in life. And I don't mean like, like obviously we knew how to read, but in terms of enjoying reading, uh, you know, growing up, it felt like it was forced on us. And for me, I just felt like I didn't see myself in the stories that were presented to me, nor did I know how to ask for um, other stories because I didn't know that that's what was happening. What's interesting is growing up, my mother used to actually uh, get me fairy tales that were own, that were like reimagined as black. So if you come to my um, my apartment, you'll see that I have a framed uh, book from my childhood, which was The Ebony Duckling, which is a retelling of The Ugly Duckling, but instead it's a black duck who ends up being an ebony swan. Uh, and I also had like uh, Jack and the Beanstalk, which was Jamako and the Beanstalk. And those were by Fred, uh, Fred Crump Jr., I believe. Um, and then as I got into school and like, you know, you're getting the required reading, everybody was white. <laughs> All the characters were white and I couldn't relate. Um, and I was an adult. It's like, oh, oh, that was just what I was being presented with. Like there are black authors and there are black protagonists and there are queer protagonists. Uh, and there's a whole world out there that I didn't even know about. Another thing that stood out to me was how George was able to come to consciousness after seeing how he and other black students were treated at a Christian camp he went to, which is also like so heartbreaking, right? Like fuck to like have this uh, to to realize that you are being treated differently and the thing that stands out between where you are and the other kids are is race and what that messaging does to you as a kid um what that what what chains and what strains um kind of present themselves over you that you then have to like undo in your adulthood because there's a messaging that you've consumed in your little baby brain that isn't developed fully and and can't uh, process that there are fucked up people in the world yet. And it's just kind of like, oh, this is about me. 
this is about who I am, why I'm not being treated the same, and and it becomes your fault, and and all this weird stuff that, again, as an adult, you have to undo. God, it's just like, can we just have equality and equity now? Like, (sighs) is that the most depressing question to to ask? Because I know the answer, which is, no, you can't have it right now, but that's what we're fighting for. But it's just wild that... If I if I just you're gonna get a peek into my psyche, like if I ever like stop to think about that question for real, like can we just have it now? It really becomes depressing because you're like, it is wild, wild that you have to fight for your humanity. Did you fight to like be seen and 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 treated and respected as just a fucking human? Like that's wild. Like what? Ugh, sorry, I'm on the verge of a crisis right now. So let's <laughs> move the fuck on. Um, the importance of black men as educators and the opportunity to mother and nurture students in the classroom is always uh, beneficial, but don't get it twisted. George makes it, George makes it clear that being a black male educator doesn't mean you can't embody toxic masculinity, which is important to Remember, but there, you know, I I have always experienced uh, in my limited uh, time in classrooms uh, the value of a black male educator or male presenting educator um, because that image or that, uh, well, you know what it is. So, what just came up for me was, you know, I think that so often the images that we see of black men are absent, are, are, you know, they don't care or, um, you know, somebody's like my real life is my dad wasn't around or, or just not, they're not positive images. Okay. They're just not positive images and you consume that. And so to have a black male educator, which hopefully they're wonderful and, you know, nurturing or whatever, which again, they're not always guaranteed, but to have that throws a wrench in, especially if you are a black male child throws a wrench into what you've been taught to be by media and by what the world tells you you're supposed to be. And suddenly you have this like nurturing black teacher in your space all the time. Uh, and it just kind of expands the possibilities of who you can be. Not that you're going to be a teacher, but just how you can show up. Um, also, I, I would be remiss to not uh, mention that it it feels so rare to see uh, a cis heterosexual black man uh, fervently speak up for the LGBTQIA community as directly as George does. Uh, and I'm so thankful that he shared his journey to getting there, you know, through his debate team. And I'm also just grateful for him, you know, with his platform um, being so unafraid to talk about it because sometimes you have people who support the queer community but don't do it openly (laughs) or like won't speak about it or still worried about their image and their brand not looking tough enough or not looking mask enough or whatever the fuck that is that toxicity is uh and i remember the first time i came across uh george's one of george's videos and he was uh talking about trans women and 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 defending trans people uh and it was just beautiful 
Uh, but just like my my baby queer self, who would have probably been um, made a lot of judgments about who George is, just in my experience in in as a as a queer boy, mask black men weren't always safe for me to be around as a as a young queer black uh, boy or child. Um, and so to like watch this video where George is so. Um, passionately and adamantly uh, defending trans people and trans women um, and queer people uh, was really, um, yeah, healing is the word, um, like just beautiful and and gave me a lot of hope uh, in terms of what what the future can look like. Uh, and I and I hope that more people will speak up and speak out directly. Um, you know, we, we all listen. We all have our our, our badges of oppression, um, and we all have our badges of privilege. Uh, and you know, I think it's important that even as we fight against our oppression, we remember where we have our privilege and use that to amplify others um, who may not have the same privilege. It's really, really, really crucial. I also appreciated that George owned his flaws and said, hey, hold me accountable, but don't throw me away if I make a mistake. And this goes back to something I I believe so um, intensely, which is, and I used to, uh, I don't know if you know this about (laughs) me, but I used to teach uh, a self-scripting class, a writing class at NYU, um, and I would do it with the college kids, but also we would have a high school program in the summer, and I would do it with those kids who were usually juniors and seniors. And the thing that I kept coming up against with my with my students was always their fear of writing something, their fear of writing how they feel, because self-scripting is all about writing from yourself and from what you know. Uh, and there's always a fear to put what they felt down on paper uh, because they didn't want to be quote unquote, we didn't have the word, we didn't cancel culture wasn't uh, in the zeitgeist when I was teaching, but they didn't want to get canceled essentially. They didn't want to be held to this viewpoint. And I think that's a, that's a, that's a flaw in our society, which is you're allowed to change your goddamn mind. <laughs> like you are allowed to change your fucking opinion. You are allowed to say something today and think something differently tomorrow because of the new interactions that you have, right? You can only think Purvis Taylor offered this up, but Purvis Taylor is a life coach uh, and he offered up, you know, people can only kind of uh, think as much as they've been exposed to. They can only kind of share to the extent that they've been exposed to something. So if you are only exposed to 50%, let's just use a random measurement, um, that's as far as you can think. And then tomorrow you're exposed to 10% more. Well, then it puts the 50% into question and you're allowed to shift, right? We have to make space for people to work through hard things and have challenging conversations and fumble and hold them accountable and offer something new and then give them the space to shift perspective. If you were to hold me, if you were, if you are never allowed to change your mind, what world is that? I can guarantee you 13-year-old Brandon has some fucked up views and opinions about the world, about himself, that 33-year-old Brandon does not have to, like, 
no, don't think the same thing. Um, so we just have to be allowed to to make a mistake and and not throw each other away. I agree with that. Now, obviously, there are nuances to this. So yes, honey, there are certain people who I, I, I'm with you. I will throw them the fuck away immediately because they need to know better. But you know what I'm talking about. You know the you know the instances that we're speaking about where um, we're working through these challenging conversations or these challenging POVs, and um, we're allowed to have those conversations, uh, and we're allowed to offer new information, and we're allowed to. You hear my dog? Um, we're allowed to change our opinions. Is what I'm. I think I'm trying to say. Well, that's it, honey. All right, well, that's the show, y'all. Thank you, George, for joining me today. You know I'm a fan. I'm a huge, huge fucking fan. And so it was really a privilege to get to to speak with you and and have such a, a full full conversation um housekeeping for my listeners y'all subscribe rate comment on any of the platforms you listen to your podcast tell somebody about us and give us some five stars don't play games now honey five stars okay also if you want to see the video version of this interview it'll be available a week from today on my youtube page at brandon k good now if you are one of the many people who just can't wait every week for the show to drop so that you can get all this knowledge and this good good and all these feels then you can of course catch sneak peeks of upcoming conversations on my IGTV at Brandon K. Good on Tom Ellis's page at official Tom Ellis or on the black folks page B-L-A-C-K-F-O-L X and you know I always want to hear from you so if you have a question or you an idea for a guest or whatever it is email blackfolkspodcast at gmail.com B-L-A-C-K-F-O-L-X podcast at gmail.com. And that's it. That's it. So thank you so much for listening. And just in case you haven't heard it yet today, you know what I'm going to say. You know what I'm going to say, honey. I love you so much. Yes! (laughs) Bye. Podcast Network.